0: Romans 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about covenanting if the law had not said You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, by effecting my death through that which is good. And through the commandments, sin became utterly sinful. How many of you struggle with sin, with temptation, with habits? See, a few hands up there. If, if nobody raised their hand, I was just going to say, well, we, no sense in going on, we might as well go home. <laughs> But I think if we were honest, we would all say that there are some areas in which we find ourselves struggling. There are areas in which we need to find the victory that is ours in Christ. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, shares his testimony, shares the struggle that he wasn't going through in his own personal life. And I like the way he shares it. He shares it without being specific. We have no idea... What temptation Paul wrestled with. We have no idea what situation he was struggling with. That, that's one of the problems sometimes with testimonies. If we're not careful, we use the testimony time to build ourselves up and, and to go into all the gory de- details and so forth, that which other people don't really need to know. But Paul does it in, in a, a way that puts the focus on Jesus Christ. I had someone ask me recently if... if we could allow for people to give five-minute testimony times in, in the morning worship service. And my view on that is it's not going to happen. For, for, for one reason, uh, we, we get carried away with it, and I seriously doubt that the average person would do it within five minutes. <laughs> and uh, I'm not about to, to yield that time at, at, at that time. But we all desire a life of victory, and yet how many times do we find ourselves struggling? How many times do we find ourselves wrestling, maybe with a habit? Maybe it's a a moral issue. Maybe it's one of the sins of the flesh. Uh, Today, we are told that with the Internet and so forth, that amazing the number of people, even in the church, that wrestle with pornography and the issues that come with it. We are faced with drug problems. And then on top of that, if that isn't enough, there's the respectable sins. Any of you struggle with worry? Now, uh, that, that's not one of the major sins. We don't put it on the list of our big five, do we? But uh, God says be anxious for nothing. Uh, is that wrong? I, th- I think we have a problem if that's our, our way of life, or fear, or, or pride, a- anything that hinders our relationship with the Lord that we struggle with. Now, we need to keep the context in mind as we look at chapter 7. We're looking at the area of sanctification, not, not justification. Now, we saw that in chapter 4 and 5. Justification was the work of God the Father where he delivered us from the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ paid the price on, on the cross for us. Our sin, the sin question was settled there. And it's always written about in the past tense. Sanctification is written about in the present tense, it's the battle that you and I face as God is seeking to deliver us, not now from the penalty of sin, that was taken care of on the cross, but he's delivering us from the power of sin, the hold that it has upon our lives and the bondage that it brings to us. God is in the business of sanctifying us, of making us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this chapter, I know there's a lot of different viewpoints out there today. There are those that deny the reality of the struggle. I don't know how you do that without losing your mind. To, to say, well, I, I, I had an individual in a church years ago that bought into the teaching that Christians can't sin. Uh, I, I said, either you're going to have to come to grips with this or, or you're, going to lose your, you're going to have a breakdown or, or, or lose your mind there because uh, the fact of the matter is we do. It's part of our our, our life today. There are others that look at this chapter and say, well, you know, all we've got to do is just let go and let God have his way. That would be great, except for the fact in chapter 6, remember the key to victory there was threefold. He said there are certain things you need to understand that you need to know, know that you've died with Christ, you've been buried with him, you've been raised with him. You need to count that true in your life in verse 11 there, and then comes your part, he said, then you need to yield yourself to God. And that's an ongoing process there. The fact of the matter is Paul had that great desire to be right with God. In Philippians chapter 3, he expressed his desire was to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and so forth. And the reason for that, he says in Philippians 3.11, is that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. But then he goes on to say, not that I have already attained or have already become perfect. He realized there were areas in his life that God was still working on, areas in his life where he needed to change. And he goes on in verse 14 to say, I press on toward the goal. That's what we do in the work of sanctification. We are seeking to become like Jesus Christ. And I think as we do that, we need to realize when we have a victory, we need to celebrate that victory. There will be another battle down the road, but celebrate the victories one step at, at a time because it's God working in you and conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. It's a lifelong battle, but I don't want to discourage you in that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he speaks of the fact that you and I are being transformed from what? From glory to glory. It's a sometimes a slow process but we are uh, as you look at your own life today can you look back 5 years ago and see some changes can you see how god has worked how he he's made you more into the image of jesus christ celebrate that fact let let god continue to work let him take you one step at a time and the battle eventually will end it ends when we arrive in glory first john chapter 3 verse 2 and 3 there it says uh, the day is coming when we're going to be like him why because we're going to see him as he is. We're going to be face-to-face with him, and that struggle, that battle will be gone forever. But until then, we yield ourselves to God, and we press on to the glory of Jesus Christ. The key to victory was given to us in verse 14 of chapter 6. It says, sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law, but under grace. And that's what we want to look at here this morning, the fact that we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. We are, are no longer in bondage to an impossible standard that you and I could not keep. We've been set free by the grace of God to become all that God desires us to be. And so how do we gain the victory? This is, again, it's going to take us two weeks to get through chapter 7. We'll finish it next week. But uh, as we think of what he's saying here, two thoughts come to mind. First of all, the question is, what is our relationship to the law? Are we under obligation to keep it? Are are we under obligation to have it be the master of our life? Paul uses an illustration here. Uh, And uh, uh, I want us to be careful with the illustration. It's the illustration of marriage. He is not giving us an exposition on marriage here. You can go to other chapters to find that. But this is not an exposition on marriage, and it's not an exposition on the subject of divorce either. He merely wants to draw a spiritual truth out of the idea of marriage here, and that is that a woman is bound to her husband as long as they both are alive. We recognize that in our marriage ceremony. We we uh, take a covenant, a vow before God until death do us part. We we recognize that that uh, the original intention of God. Back in the book of Genesis was one man, one wife, until one of them was taken home. He chooses his illustration very carefully here. And I think we need to understand the culture in which he was writing if we're going to understand what is behind this illustration here. Notice he doesn't say the man. He says the woman is bound as long as her husband is living. Why does he do that? Well, in Paul's day it was not permissible for a woman to divorce her husband. Now, you might say, that's not fair. The husband could divorce the wife. I, I realize that's not fair, but that was reality in those days. Now, that, that wasn't God's law, that was, that was man's law there. You, you ever wrestle with the fact that some of the laws that we have today aren't fair? Well, if man writes them, they're not going to be fair. We, we, we just have to live with that fact but the, a woman did not have the right to divorce her husband God did allow for divorce in the Old Testament but it had to be initiated by the husband in Deuteronomy chapter 24 now I'm not going to go any farther with that you can go into Matthew 19 and so forth on that but the only option that a woman had to break a marriage bond was the death of one or the other of the partners if her husband didn't grant a divorce, then she had no other recourse than either he dies or, or she dies. Uh, not the smartest process in the world, because I wonder how many husbands had an untimely death because of that. <laughs> Just a thought. Uh, uh, but uh, that, that, that's the way life was in, in Paul's day. If the husband died, then she was free to, to remarry. Now, before we came to Christ... Paul said, we were married, in a sense, to the law. We were under its authority. We were under its dominion. And there was nothing we could do about that. We couldn't divorce ourselves from that. It was just not possible. And I think as he says that, he goes beyond the Mosaic law here. Because the law of God was originally given in the Garden of Eden. Remember, God said, there's one tree that you're not to eat of. If you eat of that tree... The result will be death. And down through the centuries, there has has been a law, a moral law in place. We'll see it as we get into Romans chapter 8, verse 2, where he talks of the law of sin and death there. That's that's a fact of life down through the the ages. Uh, Every society, I don't care where you go in the world, every society has a system of moral principles, a system of right and wrong. You go to the remotest tribe in the depths of the jungles, and, and you will find that they have a concept of a moral law. Not the same as God's law necessarily, not the same as what we know from the Bible, but somewhere over the centuries that law has been passed down, that idea that we are answerable to a moral God. It's one of the issues that I think our atheists have to wrestle with when, when it comes to a debate. Why does every society, if there's no God, why do they have that, that knowledge of God? Why, why do they have that knowledge of, of morality and, and so forth there? But notice as he continues the illustration here in verse 4, who is the one that died? It wasn't the law. It was the wife in this, in, in this illustration. It was the wife, who, not the husband, the wife, Who died. When did she die? Well, go back to chapter 6. Remember when Christ went to the cross? When he died, he says, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he was resurrected, I, I was resurrected. So we, in a sense, died with Christ on the cross of Calvary. And Because of that spiritual death, in a sense, because we are identified with Christ in his death, that bond was broken. That bond to sin and to Satan was broken in Christ, and we are no longer in bondage to him. We died to sin. We we died, and the law cannot keep us bound. We have been raised, in a sense, to walk in newness of life. We've been raised... Married now to Christ, uh, joined together with him, and he becomes our new husband, in a sense, our new master there. Now, I realize some of you don't like that idea of submission, but it's biblical. God started it back in the book of Genesis, and now we are united with Christ. He is our head. We can find in him the power to overcome sin. Now, this is important truth, because notice in verse 4 here, he says, we are raised from the dead. We're joined to Christ now. Why? So that we might bear fruit for God. We couldn't do that when we were bound to the law. We, we couldn't do that when we were under the sentence of death. It's only through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we can bring forth fruit for God. Again, we go back to the marriage illustration on that. It's the husband that determines the child. Uh, e- either a boy or a girl. The, the husband has the X Y chromosome. You, you need uh, both there, and, and so the husband is actually the one. You know, you can blame your wife for all the. The uh, if you have don't have any boys. Well, it's her. No, it's not her fault. It's your fault. You, the, the man is the one that makes, in a sense, that determines that. In Christ. We can bring forth fruit for God. Why? Because Christ is in us. He is producing that righteousness in us. We are no longer bound to the law. We're no longer under the bondage of sin and Satan. We are set free to live today to the glory of Jesus Christ, to bring glory to his name. We could not do that before we accepted Christ as our Savior. We, we were bound in our sin. There was no way it was possible, but today we are free to give glory and bring glory to Jesus Christ. Why was the law given? That's the second question we want to look at. We saw in chapter 5 that the law was not given as a means of salvation. We cannot be saved by keeping the law because the fact of the matter is none of us can keep it perfectly. It's just beyond our ability there. We're saved by the grace of God today. The law, and we, if we usually think of the Mosaic law when we use that term. The Mosaic law was not given to redeem the nation of Israel. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It, back in the, in the, as they came out of Egypt, it was the blood of the Lamb. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and so forth. And then having been set free, God said, you know, if you're going to live as a free people, you need to know how to live. And so he gave them the law to regulate their behavior there. We ran into those problems in America at the end of the Civil War. The Slaves were set free, and yet they didn't know how to live as free people. And it caused all kinds of problems, problems that we're still wrestling with today. We, we, they needed some, somehow they needed to learn how to live as free people. And God, in his grace, enabled the children of Israel to do that but it wasn't given as a means of their salvation. It was given for three reasons. The law, first of all, in verse seven, reveals sin. doesn't produce it, it just reveals it. Without the law, he said, I would not know God's righteous requirements. It is through the law that we begin to understand what it is that God has for us. Now, he goes on to say, sin was not a problem in our old way of life as long as we were bound to sin and Satan but as redeemed people, we live by a different standard. Notice he uses the illustration of covetousness. He says, I wouldn't know what covetousness was apart from the law of God, but it, it revealed covetousness to me. Back in the end of the 18th century, there was a priest that was about to die, and, and he was summing up his... His ministry over the years. He said, Over the years, I've heard thousands and thousands of confessions. That was part of his responsibility as a priest. But he said, The amazing thing to me is, never once in all of those times did anyone ever confess to me the sin of coveting. It's just not a problem to those in the world. But when we come to Christ, we live by a different standard. We live by God's standard here. And we have a different moral standard than what the world has. And we say, well, that's not fair. Well, it doesn't matter. That's the way it is. God has given us a standard of morality, and we begin to understand it as we walk with Jesus Christ. We can't expect a world to act like a Christian. We can't expect them to live by our values. That's not possible for them. But as a child of God, it reveals this into us and enables us to overcome that in our life. The second thing he says that the law does is it, re- it arouses sin in verses 8 and 9. What it actually does is it reveals the condition of our heart. The problem is before we came to Christ, we had a sin nature that we had to deal with, and we still struggle with that today. The, the law arouses that if we're not careful. You don't believe that? How many times have you walked by a sign that said wet paint? What's the first thing you wanted to do? Touch it. yeah. Nobody's going to tell me I can't touch that. Uh, and sometimes we do it. Sometimes we resist, but sometimes we we do it. Uh, I remember years ago before we were married, I, I was taking a three-week seminar at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, the last place in the world I like to be is Chicago. I, I, I just don't enjoy the city. and And the school was all... Walled in, you had to have a a badge to get in and out of the gates and so forth. It it was in a bad district and still is today. But I still remember I we had just started our school experience. I only knew one person there, and I just met him. It was a missionary from Bolivia. It was a three-week course for missionaries for, for learning communication skills, writing skills, and so forth. And I found out that's hard work. And so rather than continue that course. I, I married a writer and let, let her do the writing for me. But uh, but uh, Dave was from Bolivia, missionary from Bolivia. He served in the same mission that my brother was serving with in, in Bolivia. And Dave had been there for eight years, so he, he's a veteran missionary. I was just starting out. And, and we had a lot in common, so we we quickly became friends. That first day, the dean met with us and he gave all the rules and regulations, you know, you you got to go through that. We we do that at VBS, we tell the kids what the rules are and and, and so forth. But uh the, the dean gave us a quick rundown of of all all of the rules. And one of the rules was he said, you know, you're you're free to wander through the city. He said, "I you can go south and you can go east, but he said we don't want you going west." So, that's off limits. That that's all he said. And uh after the service was over. Dave looked at me and he said, why can't we go west? (laughs) I said, I don't have the slightest idea. He said, what are you doing this afternoon? (laughs) Well, classes started the next morning, so I I knew where this was going. He said, let's go find out why we can't go west. And guess what? We did. (laughs) We walked right into the red light district of of Chicago. we didn't stay very long there. We, we got out of there as quick as we could. And Dave looked at me and said, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing to do. <laughs> he said, I'm sure glad I didn't do that alone. That was the law. That, you know, somebody says you can't do it, and guess what? I can do it. You're driving down the road and it says 60 miles an hour. Nobody has the right to tell me I can only do 60 miles an hour. It's a straight road, a beautiful road. I can do 70 miles an hour. I'll I'll show them they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, uh, The law arouses that in us if if we're not careful. It it reveals the sin. It arouses it, but it can't save us in verse 14 here. So the, the third thing that the law does, it reveals God's righteousness. He says the problem is not the law. The law is good. It's holy. It's right. Uh, His standards do not change from generation to generation. His standards are not a cultural thing. If it's right in our culture, it doesn't make any difference. It's what does God say. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Romans 15.4, he speaks of the fact that the things were written in the Old Testament were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope there. And so it's good for us to study the Old Testament. He's not suggesting that we do that to adopt a legalistic lifestyle, but we do it to find out what does God have to say about the different areas of our life. The fact is, in the book of Genesis, early in the beginning of time, God said murder was wrong. Cain murdered his brother Abel, and he suffered the consequences. And guess what? It's wrong today as well. Yes, we're not under the Old Testament law that says thou shalt not kill, but it's still wrong. It's still morally wrong today, and God holds us accountable to that. Adultery was wrong back in the book of Genesis. It's wrong today. His principles, his moral principles do not change. And they should be the standard upon which we base our life. You see, God gave the law not to restrict us but so that we can get the most out of life. His desire is to bless us. His desire is for us to experience his, the fullness of his blessing. It is to protect us. It is to protect the society in, in which we live. And yet, recognizing all of that, we know it's impossible for us to keep the law. We just can't do it. It arouses that old sin nature in us if we're not careful. In Christ, he says we're free from that bondage, not to live lawless lives, but to find in Christ the strength to live a life that glorifies God, to live a life that will bring glory and honor to his name today. Uh, He does for us what we cannot do. Remember back in chapter 6, we died, we were buried, we were raised with Christ to do what? Walk in newness of life now, not under the bondage of sin any longer, where we can walk to the glory of Jesus Christ. The next time you find yourself involved in a struggle, remember, there is victory. That is possible. You can find the strength. You can find the help. Paul comes, finally comes to that conclusion at the end of chapter 7. We'll come back to it next week, but notice what he, he says in verse 24. He says, Wretched man that I am, who shall set me free from this body of death? almost as if he was just a little bit tired of the struggle. He's been struggling with some temptation or some trial, maybe for years, and he said, who's going to ever deliver me? Verse 25 gives you the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can we find the victory? Not in our own strength, not in our own power, not in our legalistic standards that, that won't work. It's as we allow Jesus Christ to be our head as we allow Jesus Christ to occupy the rightful place in our heart, then he is able to give us the victory that we need. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, If you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And then go down just a few verses later in verse 36. He said, If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Victory is possible today through Jesus Christ. The problem is, We don't always yield to our master. We don't always give him first place in our life. We sometimes are like Dennis the Menace. You remember the little cartoon, Dennis the Menace? He's sitting in his corner as mom's walking out of the room, and he turns around and looks at his mom, and he says, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. That that rebellion was still there. And if we're not careful, we allow that to control our lives. God has to change our heart, and that won't happen through outward conformity. We have many people that want to bring us under a legalistic standard. The only problem is it doesn't work. We need Jesus Christ to, to set us free. In Christ, we can find the victory that we need. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, he gives us the invitation in verse 15 He says, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, he said, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. We need to learn when that temptation comes, as someone said, to let Jesus Christ answer the door. it comes knocking at the door of our hearts, let him answer the door. Let him have his way and surrender to him and say, Lord, I can't do it, but you can. And I give you the right to be Lord of this area of my heart and life. Victory can be ours today as we yield ourselves to Jesus Christ and to his will for our lives. Let's pray. Father, today as we come into your presence, we just want to say thank you that you loved us enough to deliver us from the bondage of sin, the bondage of death, to have us die in a sense to the law so that we can be raised to walk in newness of life. Help us to realize this week as we walk through the events, as we face the temptations, the struggles, the trials, to recognize that we've been raised with Jesus Christ. We don't have to give in to sin. We can walk in newness of life as we yield ourselves fully and completely to you. Give us the courage to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to sing, Now I Belong to Jesus.